right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to I-Town. It's an honor to have you in the house on this Memorial Day weekend. I want to say hello to all of our campuses, all of you who are watching live online through itownchurch.com, maybe down at the track on your mobile phone trying to hear us while you're getting ready for the big race today. And then, of course, the correctional facilities all across the state. Come on, church. Let's welcome each other. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with. If you haven't already, the iTown Church app is a great thing to download. You can click on the notes button and follow along as we study God's word. As you do that, I think it's very important for us to pause for just a moment this weekend and remind ourselves of the fact that freedom certainly is not free and honor the sacrifice of those who have paid the ultimate price to defend our freedom, to secure our freedom. Come on, church, let's thank them. For those military families who have paid the ultimate price of losing a loved one, we honor you and we're thankful for you. For families like mine who have not had the opportunity to serve, nor do we have anybody in our family who has served in the military, we'll never understand your sacrifice, but we're so thankful for the price that your loved one has made and that your family is suffering. Our thoughts and prayers are with you this Memorial Day weekend, and we're so thankful for it. So we have been uh, in this series, started last weekend, on the book of James. We studied chapter one last weekend, going chapter by chapter through the five-chapter book, week by week, uh, just pulling principles from each chapter. And we found our theme verse last week, James chapter one, verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's why the title of the series is Just Do It. The theme of the whole book of James is faith in action. Such a very practical book, often called the Proverbs of the New Testament, full of wonderful wisdom of things we can apply in our daily lives that would radically transform the life we are living for Christ. And I really believe that's the secret. I think that plenty of American Christians know enough, it's just that we're not living out what we know. And so while we have a wealth of information available at our fingertips, which is wonderful, it's great. I celebrate that. We need to make sure that we're living out that faith in daily life. And so James is helping us wrestle through some of these more difficult topics. In chapter one, last week, we talked about pain and how we walk through trials and all of these tests in life to develop our character, our perseverance, so we could be the people that God has called us to be. There's no pain that's without purpose. God turns everything for the good. If you missed last weekend, I, wanted, I want you to jump online. Check it out, I think it'll help you. Today we get to jump into chapter two, again, wrestling with another very challenging topic. We'll pick it up in verse one. He says, dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? He jumps into the topic of discrimination. We're gonna wrestle through that in the next few verses today. We're gonna talk about the different types of discrimination that exist in the world around us. And then, of course, we're going to look at what James says is how we can change our mindset, change the way that we live so that we can be a light to the world around us, because I really believe it's the church's responsibility to show the world what it looks like to live in unity. That's what Jesus' prayer was. God, I pray that you would make them one. And so we're going to kind of wrestle through that today, and I'm excited about it. But before we jump into it, I just want you to know nobody's excluded from today's message. Because the truth is, every one of us, depending on how we were raised, have a worldview of 
people and the world around us, and all of us have discriminated against somebody for something. Like, I grew up in a family that drove GM cars. I don't know why. My dad just loved GM, and uh, that was before it was government motors, back when they made good cars. It was amazing. We loved them. And so we saw Ford as a fix or repair daily. We couldn't understand why you would ever buy a plastic Ford. It was just a piece of junk. It just didn't make any sense. And GM was the way to go. That was just how we were raised. And then, of course, that was back when Michael Jordan was ruling the court, who is still the greatest player of all time. It's never inappropriate to mention that. For those of you that don't believe it, I'm just telling you the truth will set you free. I'm trying to take you on a journey. And so Nikes were the shoe to wear because he, we all wanted to be like Mike. And you didn't want that subcontract of like Adidas and, you know, a Converse. Ah, that's, those are all garbage. You wanted to wear Nikes because Michael was the man. And so that's just how it was. You had to have Nikes because they were absolutely the best. And then maybe... You grew up in a really fit family, so you kind of look down on people that didn't eat well. Like maybe you see somebody that picked up McDonald's and you think, oh, I didn't know it was better than you. You eat at McDonald's, which is funny because no one will ever admit that they eat at McDonald's. You ever notice that? (laughs) But somebody does. I mean, they're selling billions of burgers, right? Which I don't really know if it can be classified as food. You ever had a French fry that's an hour old? I don't know what food group you fit it in, but that's... (laughs) It's not okay. And then, of course, there's the cat people. None of us will ever understand you. (laughs) Doesn't make sense to me. So we all have these lenses that we look through and the ways that we judge other people. And James goes on to give us an example here in verse 2. For example, suppose someone comes into the meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. Somebody rich shows up to church. And guess what the church does? Well, another person comes in poor and in dirty clothes, and they're giving special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but they say to the poor one, look, you can stand over there by yourself, or maybe you can sit on the floor over here. Don't get our nice pews dirty with your dirty clothes. He says, doesn't that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And this has been a problem from the very beginning, obviously, in the body of Christ, where for whatever reason, church leadership will just automatically give influence to people who have affluence. They don't want to make the rich people mad because maybe they'll stop giving or maybe they'll leave the church. When we look at poor people and the people that God has called us to reach because all of them are made in the image of God, but we shuffle them to the side because there's not so much they can offer. James is wrestling with this topic. How you treat people. Are you treating some people better than others? The first thing that we note, jot this down if you're taking notes, is discrimination is just favoring people for selfish reasons. He's like, man, rich people have something to offer. People that aren't so wealthy feels like they're more of an inconvenience, so you're giving preferential treatment to the people who are making your life a little bit better and shoving people to the side. It's a character issue for those that aren't serving any personal purpose. Really what we have to do as humans, if we're going to wrestle through growing in this area, is we have to, first of all, find the common denominator in humanity is that we are really not good people. We love that phrase. They're a good person. No, the Bible says all have sinned, that all fall short of God's standard. We're born with a broken sin nature on the inside of us. And until we accept that fact, there's no room for us to change. 
And because of that fact, at its core, what sin is, is selfishness. It's I want to do what's right for me. I want to do what's good for me. I want to do what makes me enjoy life, what makes me feel good. That's really the message that we're being inundated with by the world. Do whatever you like. Do whatever you feel. Do whatever you want. Why? Because we live in this selfish bubble. So if left unchecked, every individual will be prone to selfishness, every family prone to selfishness, every church prone to serving its own self-interest, every organization gets selfish. We have to fight leaders. One of our number one jobs as leaders of our homes and leaders of our spiritual communities is to fight to stay others focused. So really a lot of our discrimination is just based on selfishness. Like, have you ever been to Walmart? Walmart's an amazing place. You can pick up your groceries while you get your car serviced and you buy a kayak all at the same time. It's really fantastic. So maybe you're at Walmart and you're just enjoying some peaceful time trying to shop and there's that inevitable woman there with that two or three-year-old that clearly has never been disciplined in his or her little life and definitely does not know the Lord and they are full of the devil. And they are running around the store, they are screaming, they are knocking things off the shelf, they're running into your cart, and they seem to always be on your aisle. It gets annoying. You get perturbed and you start to have these thoughts, especially when you're single or when you're young and you don't have your own kids, you think things like, I would never let my kids act like that. <laughs> Woo, I would ne that's never gonna happen to me. And then the mom, of course, has this desperate attempt of like counting and threatening. She's yelling at her kid, so help me God, Johnny, I'm gonna kill you when we get out in there. And you're like, I would never speak to my child that way. Then you have kids. <laughs> you tell them things like, I have made three that look just like you and I can make another one. If we're honest with ourselves in those moments, we're not really concerned about the lack of discipline in this child. We're not thinking about what home life might be like. We're not really concentrating on, man, what's going to happen in the future of our country when this kid's in charge? <laughs> we're not thinking about what that woman might be going through in her personal life. Really, the reason why we're upset is because they're messing up our shopping experience. We left our kids at home to not have to deal with this, and you're ruining it for me because discrimination is always from a selfish place. Second thing, jot it down, discrimination comes in lots of ways. We have to be aware of the fact that there's lots of forms of discrimination. What James is hitting on is the social discrimination. There are elite people with elite resources that get elite treatment sometimes. It's easy to be friends with those that have the nice lake house and the boat, and they invite everybody to come. Everybody loves buddying up to those folks because you get invited. There's benefits. They'll invite you to the country clubs. You can go play a bougie round of golf. Isn't that fun? It's just we all love them. Maybe they'll take us in their nice car. Maybe we'll get to go to their big pool. Maybe we'll get to hang out in their world. So it's easy to treat them well while we treat others that have nothing to offer us worse. Maybe it's the way that they dress or the way that they look. We all know those folks. They pick their style, and they're just okay with the fact that they're only going to be in style every 20 years. 
They're just betting on the fact it's coming back around. It's going to come back around. And in the midst of that cycle, you're thinking, man, you're way out of date. This is not, I don't even think that is a style. Or maybe you don't like modern style. You're thinking that's too baggy or that's too tight or I just don't understand. Maybe people have too many tattoos. Maybe people have no tattoos. We're looking at folks through this lens of how they dress or maybe how fit they are. Maybe you felt discriminated against because you have a slower metabolism than somebody else. It happens in culture. People discriminate for lots of reasons. Age is another one, a social discrimination. Remember the disciples, they didn't want the children coming and disrupting the meeting. They're trying to push them to the side. And Jesus is like, what's wrong with you? Let the children come to me. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes and says, listen, young leader Timothy, don't look pe- let people look down on you just because you're young. Don't let them discriminate because you're age. Be an example. Prove them wrong in speech and in conduct and love and faith and in purity. We need to accept the fact that we need young leadership in the body of Christ. We have to raise up the next generation. We should have teenagers and 20-year-olds on the platform, leading circles, leading in the halls. Man, they're the future. We need to empower them. While at the same time, we need to make sure that we have the wisdom of those who have lived a few years in life. Man, it always used to bother me the first five, six years of the church, people would come to me. It doesn't happen as much anymore, but it used to happen all the time. People would say, this is such a hip church. I'm too old to go here. I say, too old? They're like, yeah, this is full of 20 and 30-year-olds. I feel too old. And I would say, no, we have to have you. We need some wisdom in the house. We should worship generationally. And so we all have to come together understanding we got to link arms together. Young people, don't think the old people have let the world pass them by and don't know anything. No, they're full of wisdom and full of understanding that we need. While at the same time, elderly people, don't look down on young people and think, what do you know? You haven't been tested and you, you have failed a few times. We'll see how much energy you have. No, the reality is it takes all of us together. Because the 20-year-olds are waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and putting out flags on the street. You 70-year-olds ain't going to come do that. (laughs) You're sipping your coffee at 3.30 in the morning, watching the news. We celebrate that. It takes all of us together. Another type of discrimination we see in Scripture is a spiritual discrimination. It's easy for us to enjoy and to love the way that we worship God and the theology that we embrace, and then we pass judgment on others. I'm so thankful for what God is doing at ITEL. I really believe that we're living in the middle of a move of God as we see hundreds saved every weekend and thousands attending and campuses being planted. It is a miracle, but it's not because of us. It's in spite of us. God, we're just thankful that God is moving and that God is working, and we can never get this mentality of better than someone else. At the end of the day, we all serve the Savior who has died for our sins. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and everybody that believes that is on our team. We can't get to the place that we pass judgment on other people and how they worship and how many songs they have and whether they sing out of a songbook or not or how they teach God's word. At the end of the day, we need to celebrate the fact that we're all headed to heaven. God loves diversity, and there's diversity of worship to reach lost humanity. And then if we're not careful, we can discriminate against the religious outsider. Jesus really had to confront that time and again in his earthly ministry because 
The religious insiders didn't want the outsiders to be a part of the crew. And so we studied this story before Easter in Luke 19. Jesus is going through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, and he looks up at Zacchaeus, who's this tax collector, climbed a tree just to get a picture of Jesus. He says, Zach, I want to come and hang out with you today. And so Zach jumps down and welcomes Jesus gladly. But the religious people, the religious insiders, they began to mutter, and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's hanging out with somebody that uses potty words and doesn't follow the law, and he doesn't do good things, and I don't understand. Discriminating against people that you're spending time with. No, Jesus was teaching us that if we're going to make an impact in the world around us, we have to get out of our little bubble and begin to engage lost humanity so they can see the life that is found in Christ. We can't discriminate against them. We have to welcome them with open arms so that we can show them the love that we've encountered in Jesus. The last one that we'll hit on today is racial discrimination, and it's dominating the topic in the world today. And I just want you to know that I think it's still a struggle and still a battle. I'm going to show you why. I don't know as much that is intentional. I know some of it's intentional. I'll prove it to you in a minute. But I think a lot of it is unintentional, but we still have to deal with it. Look in Acts chapter 6. This is the very beginning of the church. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Why? The gospel was beginning to spread. So you had the majority group of the Hebrews and the minority group now of the Gentiles. They were the previous religious outsiders, but now they're included because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The Greek-speaking believers complained that the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying the Greek-speaking believers' widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. They said, hey, the in-group is getting preferential treatment and the minorities are not being cared for. All the way back at the beginning of, uh, of the church. And James is addressing the issue of discrimination, whether it's intentional or unintentional. We have to illuminate it and eradicate it and be intentional about it because we can't really be Christ's followers if we're participating in it. Now, most people here, in fact, I would pray 100% of our church would vehemently oppose this thought and go, I am not racist. And I would absolutely believe you. But I just would submit to you that there's maybe a blind spot. A blind spot is something that you can't see. And so sometimes, you ever been driving in your car and you're just not paying attention and you change lanes and you nearly kill somebody because they were in the blind spot? All good drivers in the house. Anybody ever almost run somebody off the road and you're blind? A few, yeah. There's a few honest people in church. That's all right. I'll honk louder for the rest of you next time. <laughs> It's not that you're meaning to run somebody off the road. They're just in your blind spot. You didn't see it. And I think sometimes we have blind spots when it comes to life because we just ended up in the majority. Here's the easiest, least offensive way I can describe it to you. I have grown up as a left-handed person in a right-handed person's world. All the lefties, give me an amen in the house. Yeah, we're the minority. You know, it's like two of you. It's just true. If you're a right-handed person, you set up the world to follow your right-handed rules. We all shake right-handed because that's your strong hand. We take the Pledge of Allegiance with our right hand. You take government oaths with your right hand. You get to school, you all get a desk. No left-handed desks in school. The people who created the English language, clearly right-handed. You drag your hand through the ink 
right and left-handed. You got to twist it upside down and try to right like. God help you if you want to play sports. You ever try to buy a left-handed set of golf clubs? Ever try to buy a left-handed glove? No righty is ever at the store going, where are all the left-handed options? You don't ever think about it because it's set up for you. And so maybe, just maybe, all of us who are white ought to get out of our little bubble and just for a minute, because you're not racist, challenge the idea that maybe, even inadvertently, there are some things that have just happened in our culture that may have set you up for more success, not because anybody was intending that way, just because nobody was thinking about it. You say, well, that, that's offensive. I've worked hard for everything I have. Nobody gave me a leg up in life, and I'm not challenging that. I'm not saying you haven't worked hard. I'm just saying there are things maybe you've never considered. Like when you go to get a loan for your car or for your house, you may have thought about your credit and all that money you ran up on credit cards and all that college debt you've had, but you've never thought about your skin color as a factor. Never. Why would you? It's set up for you. You've never walked through a store and didn't buy something and were worried that somebody would accuse you of stealing something because you were walking out without having purchased something. You've never had to look over your shoulder. Never. There are just some things that are different that we, I think, have to challenge as white people because you've always grown up right-handed. The world was kind of set up for you in our country. It's what we call in-group bias. Your in-group is just people who look like you, dress like you, act like you, believe like you. The out-group is people that just don't share that same background, maybe that same ethnicity, that same skin color. And so all I'm challenging us to do is step outside of our bubble. Think about what it's like to be somebody else. You know, I had a firsthand experience with this because, as you've noticed, I'm white, always been white whole life I've been white. I've never been in the minority. But I've always played basketball. And so I've always been around brothers. And I don't know if that's offensive to you, but it just is what it is. They're bigger, faster, stronger. I've always wanted to be black, to be honest. Pretty slow. Pretty slow. That thing is true. Most white people, we're slow. So I'm hanging out with just people, right? But most of my friends were black just because of the group that I was around. And when we go to particularly dominant white areas, brothers would always be like, what's up to other brothers? And I'd be like, what is, what, did you know them? Like, no, uh-uh. Like, why did you do that? That's weird. You're saying hello to people you don't know. And then I went to the Philippines and I lived as a minority. I was like the only white person ever. I'd go to the mall and I'd see another white person. I'd be like, what's up? You're white. I'm white. We're both white. They're usually European and they'd be like, Americans are weird. And for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, I'm a minority right now. This is amazing. It just totally changes your perspective. And so all we have to do is become aware because change won't happen until we're aware. And a lot of people, a lot of white people get really offended because you've never seen the world through a racist lens. You're not trying to be racist, and I wouldn't say that you are. 
I'm just saying we've never challenged ourselves to get outside of our bubble and ask those who are minorities, what is life like for you? What's your experience like? And then we do have to pull our head out of the sand and realize that there is racism that exists in the world today. It is true. It may not be true of you, but it is true. Right here in Carmel, friends of ours, little twins, one is a little bit darker than the other. The children on the playground looked at the darker of the two twins and said, we can play with your sister, but we can't play with you because you're too dark. That garbage begins and must end at the dinner table because children are not born that way. They are taught that way, and it has to stop. It's a lie from the pit of hell, and it's, cre it's created by the devil to create division. Discrimination at its core creates division. And that's my big problem with those that keep crying race on television. They're actually not trying to solve anything at all. What they're trying to do is get us into tribalism and hating and dividing against one another. Because that in-group bias creates an us versus them mentality. When we tell people the most important thing about you is your skin color, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We are all a part of the same race, it's the human race. We're all related, all of us came from Adam and Eve. <laughs> We're in this together. Acts chapter 10, Peter had a vision and said, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism, but in every nation, that's every ethnos, is the Greek word, that means every ethnicity, every skin color, God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So the level playing field is all of us get to God the very same way, and we have to accept that as believers. Our goal is unity. How do we get there? Well, James begins to tell us in verse 8. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law. As found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, we've got to begin to value people. Love everybody the same. Love your neighbor, whoever they might be, as yourself. We have to come back to the fact that every human has intrinsic value placed on them by God. It doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their ethnicity, doesn't matter their lifestyle. Everybody is a person for whom Christ has died. I remember in John chapter 8, we actually studied this on Easter. The woman caught in adultery, drug into the public square to be shamed, to be manipulated, to be used as a religious pawn in the scheme of the religious leaders. And yet Jesus saw a human. Jesus saw an individual. Jesus said, look, I am not condemning you. Go and leave your life of sin. He placed value on her even in her darkest moment of her life. There's value in every life. It's kind of like this. I brought an example with me. It's kind of like this $100 bill. It's all crispy and shiny and really nice. But suppose I were to fold that $100 bill. How much is it still worth? It's still worth $100. That wasn't a trick question. What if you take it and you crumple it all up? Does it still have its value? What if I, what if I rub some spit all over it? Does it still have value? How about we throw it on the ground and we just kind of, life just kind of gets a little dirt on it and kind of like you're killing a mosquito, you know, just really beat it up bad. How much is it still worth? Still worth $100. Thank you for the five people participating. <laughs> How many of you would like $100? Here you go, right there. 
Why? Because it still has its value. Your value is not determined by what you have done. Your value is determined by who you are. And it doesn't matter what the world has said about you. Doesn't matter what the devil has done to you. Doesn't matter how many people have discriminated against you. Doesn't matter who's walked out on you. Doesn't matter what you're addicted to. Doesn't even matter what you believe. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High. Jesus gave his life for you. You are worth Christ. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And we need to start putting value on people, no matter their background, no matter their belief system, no matter their skin color, no matter their behavior, no matter their style, no matter their body type. Jesus loves all people and so should we. That's the gospel. And here's one that you got to get okay with. If you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. Look, if you don't like a diverse church, then you're going to hate heaven because it's full of diversity. And you probably actually won't make it. So you don't have to worry about it. He says, if you are showing favoritism for any reason at all, that's a sin. Number two, we have to value our relationship with Jesus because sin breaks our intimacy with God. Sin separates. That's what Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says. The wages of sin is death. That word death means separation. You got to value what God values. Value people. Then you got to value the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're not going to hear him if you're full of discrimination, if you're treating people with preferential treatment in your life that you favor over others. And as we close, verse 12, he says, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Man, I just want to pause for a minute and, and publicly say I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. I'm thankful for the grace of God. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And I love that. The Bible says God longs to show you mercy. God's not out to get you, to judge you, or to get even with you. He's here to rescue you and set you free. But we have to remember that while that's true in this life, at some point, you and I will pass from this life. And after we draw our last breath, we will meet our maker face to face. And at that point, you will be judged and so will I. What did you do with the sacrifice of Jesus and how did you treat the people in your life? I'm just telling you at that moment, I know there's going to be some things I'm not proud of. I strive to live a life of integrity and I try to have great character, but I'm a human and I know that I'm flawed and I know there are times that I miss it and I get selfish and I, I feel like when I stand before Jesus, he's going to be like, man, you really were kind of an idiot sometimes. It was pretty bad, Dave. I don't know what you were thinking here and I can't believe you blew it there. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of banking on this verse. I'm going to try to be merciful to every person I meet. I'm going to try to extend grace every opportunity I have. Why? Because I desperately need it. 
I need Jesus to be merciful and gracious to me, and so do you. So we, number three, are going to have to value mercy. You know what the biblical definition of mercy is? It's seeing the plight and condition of someone else and then stepping out of your comfort zone to do something about it. Let's not live in our little in-group, in our little bubble. Let's get outside of our world and the community in which we were raised and let's see what other people are going through. Let's begin to understand the pressures and the pains of their life and let's do something to make a difference. We see that woman at Walmart instead of judging the behavior of her child and being frustrated about what it's doing to us, let's pause for a minute and think, I wonder what's going on in her life. I don't see a ring on her finger. I wonder if she's trying to raise this boy all on her own. And who knows if her husband left her or maybe never had one. And what kind of situation or home life did she grow up in? What kind of generational sins is she trying to break? And maybe she doesn't have time to discipline her poor child because all she's focused on right now is trying to survive. Maybe she just worked a 15-hour day and she's just trying to make ends meet. So maybe I could get her name. Maybe I could follow her to the front. Maybe I could pay for her groceries. Maybe I could invite her to church. Maybe I could get that young person around some good, strong men that could invest into their life. Maybe we could help her know that there is a Savior who loved her and that he died in her place and that a church would surround her and support her and care for her. And I'm going to pray for her every day. I want to make an eternal difference in her life. Why? Because mercy says, it's not about me. I'm going to value people. I'm going to value my relationship with the Lord, and I'm going to show mercy every chance that I get. Why? Because we have been called to be a light to the world around us. You cannot wear the label Christian and for any reason treat some people better than others. James says we got to stop. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray that God would help us this week to get outside of our in-group and to begin to see the world through a different lens so we can make a true difference in the world around us. Before that, some of you are here and for whatever reason, you're far from God. Could be that you just have never known the Lord. Maybe your in-group wasn't religious, wasn't church-going. This is your first experience in an environment like this, I want you to know Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. The life he has planned for you is better than anything you could plan for yourself. Yet maybe others of you carry the wounds of discrimination. Maybe you made a mistake and religious people judged you. Or maybe you felt like an outsider and people pushed you away. I want you to know that's not the heart of the body of Christ, that's not the heart of Jesus. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He longs to be in relationship with you. The Bible says for all of us, he'll make us brand new, give us a fresh start. Maybe that's you today, maybe you need a fresh start with Jesus. I would love to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm not gonna make you stand or come to the front afterwards, I just wanna connect you with the Lord. But if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed at every campus, there's a point of connection if you say, Dave, that's me, I need that fresh start with Jesus today, would you just lift your hand up high for just a moment? Come on, right now, all over this place and at every campus. Yeah, great job. That's amazing. All right, you can put your hands down. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. The most important thing is that you mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today for all of my sin. I repent. I make you the Lord of my life. I surrender all to you. Then just invite him into your heart. Just say, Lord, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me. Empower me to live this life for you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for an amazing group of believers. Help us to continue to lead the way in linking arms together. Help us to become aware of those that are not in our in-group and strive this week and every week after, Lord, to be a light, to be a witness, to live in unity, to show mercy. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Help us to live it out every day. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you put your hands together, celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.